Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. Uh, I want to just pray a special prayer really quick um, over all of us uh, before we get started. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, for the work that you've done in us, the work that you're doing in us. God, I thank you for uh, this opportunity to come before you and to uh, be with you. God, I pray that you would uh, grow us in your presence and grow us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thanks, man. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Journey. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Bobby. I'm uh, the pastor here at Journey Queens. Uh, And I'm excited because today uh, we are continuing with a series we started last week called Return to Me. Uh, And this is a series that uh, is based on a book by Claude King. Uh, He is a Christian author, and um, it's also the book that we will be going through in our community groups this fall. Uh, So if you have joined a community group, uh, that is the book that you uh, have received. And if you haven't joined one but you want to, uh, join today. Uh, On your connection card, you can sign up. And then in the lobby, we actually have copies of Return to Me for you, uh, completely free for you to study over the course of this, uh, the rest of the fall semester. Um, But last week, we talked a little bit about the heart behind Return to Me uh, and and the purpose of why we are uh, making this our fall campaign, our rally cry uh, over the next few months. And it's, it starts in a passage in the book of Malachi where God is calling Israel, his holy people, back to himself. Uh, Israel had strayed from God's ways. They were, the, the men were marrying women of other nations and devoting themselves to their gods. They, they had completely forsook God. And so God was calling Israel back to them. And he made them a promise in Malachi where he says that if you return to me, I will in turn return to you. That if we were to draw in near to the Lord, his promise is that he will draw back to us, draw into us. And as we see throughout Israel's history uh, that we talked a little last week, that God seems to have chosen a nation that he knew would be wayward that he knew would have trouble staying with him. And, and all throughout Israel's history, we see this back and forth between the nation and God, of the nation drawing close to God, and then as generations go on, forgetting God and leaving him behind and, and running to other gods and other idols. We see in the, the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, God is, is uh, bringing this charge against the people of Israel. And I know we don't have screens, so if you're following along, I'll try and read out each of those scriptures. This is from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. And God's bringing this charge to Israel, and he says, Has a nation ever changed gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot even hold 
water. See, God lays out for Israel two major sins that Israel committed, that that God is bringing to their attention, that God is making this nation aware of. The first sin is that they turned from God. They turned from God. They completely forsook what God had done in their lives, their commitment to God, their passion. This was an entire nation that was at several points in their history centered around God. Not just several groups of people, but the nation being centered on God. So they turned from him. And the second is that they left God's ways and they went to do their own thing. Right? We see here in this passage that God says, They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot even hold water. See, God's giving a comparison here. In case you're, you're curious, the difference between a spring of water and a cistern, I, I think some of us may know it. I did a little more research into it, but a spring is a natural water that comes up from the earth. It is an actual uh, water source. And so no matter how much water you draw from it, it does not run dry. In a cistern, especially in biblical times, were large just holes that held water. And the, the goal of these was to collect rainwater so that, that the, the, the town at the time would have this water available. But the danger was that because it was collecting rainwater and runoff, you would get dirt and, and dead animals and feces and everything in this cistern and it would begin contaminating this water. And so the comparison that God is making with Israel is that he is a spring of living water, that everything they, their souls would need can be found in him without it running out, and that they traded that in for broken cisterns that couldn't even hold water. God is saying, Israel has turned from me and is, and is living their lives in a way that is so fruitless that they can't even hold contaminated water for themselves. And, but yet they left my comfort, my ways, my advice, my, my uh, initiative for living in order to seek their own. It's similar to uh, the, the story of the wayward son, right? Where, where the, the parable Jesus gives is that he has two sons and the older of the sons says, I, I, I'm leaving you. I, I want my inheritance, essentially saying to his father, I, I would rather you be dead at this point so I could get my inheritance and go waste it. It was Israel leaving God completely forsaking him. And you see their, their nation would then fall into times of trouble and it would fall into times where uh, economically and socially and everything kind of would begin to crumble because God offered his ways of prosperity and hope and Israel turned from them. I remember when I was uh, just going into college, uh, a little bit different, but I remember some advice that my dad gave me uh, before I even started college, as I was turning 18 years old, just starting to get that newfound freedom. uh, He advised me, uh, Bobby, credit cards are not free money. Do not spend with credit cards, especially at your age. You don't need it. That is not free money. They're, They're a trap at some points. And I listened a little, and then time went on, and I I stopped listening. And I strayed from that advice, 
And I thought, my, I could pay that minimum balance real quick. Oh, I'm getting this chunk of money and, you know, tax returns. I'll just pay it off then. And, and as time went on, slowly but surely over the years, by the time I finished college, I had accrued $15,000 of credit card debt completely opposite from the incredible wisdom that my dad had given me. And, and, and what I found was I was financially bound. I was financially in prison, right, with all of this debt over me because I turned from my dad's advice. And the great part of that is my dad still loves me. You know, he didn't shun me. He didn't give up on me. And we see that in God's relationship as well. We see that when we take our lives and we bring them into our control and we say, God, I'm going to now control my life. I'm, I'm going to do this my way. That God lets us do it. He lets us go out on our own. He lets us make those mistakes. We have that free will. We can mess our lives up more than we have or we can draw into God and find his presence again at any point. Look at this promise he gives through the prophet Zechariah. In chapter 9, verse 11, he says, As for you also, Israel, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless cistern. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And then again in Jeremiah 24, he says, I will give them a heart to know me, to know that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. See, we have this opportunity each and every day to drift from God or to return to God. It's not something we can do once on a Sunday and we're good for the rest of our lives. See, if we're not moving in, in a direction towards God, then we are in a slow drift away from God. We don't naturally drift towards what is good. We're in a sinful world in bodies that are attached to this flesh, this physical world that is, that is in control of sin. And, and our natural drift is to go away from God. And so we have that opportunity each day to return to God, to draw our hearts into him. What does it look like when we forsake God, when we're running to our waterless cisterns of our own? Well, I'd say ask yourself a couple questions. What, what does it look like in your day? How often do you think of God during your day? Is he a thought that is consistent in your mind? Have you developed a, a, a prayer life where you're, you're talking to him throughout the day, bringing to him the things you're, or is he just a thought that really is only on Sundays or in those times that you're really in need? How about what is your response when something unexpected happens and you need help? Do you immediately go and work to try and fix it? Or do you take a moment and pause and bring God into the situation and say, hey, you know what? I, maybe, maybe I can handle this on my own, but I, I'm, I'm asking God to come in. I want God to be in this. How about the things in your life? Are there, is there sin in your life that at one point maybe you cared a lot about and then over time as the drift has begun, you, begun you've just cared about it less? How about in the moments where you're worn out and tired and you're discouraged and you're overwhelmed? Do you keep running to those waterless cisterns? Do you just keep smoking or keep drinking or keep isolating yourself away from everybody in your life because you just can't escape that pressure? Or do you, in that pressure, come to God? See, we have that choice 
throughout all of our lives. And church, I don't want you to hear right now me speaking this with a condemning tone or a shameful wagging finger. Every single one of us is infected with sin. None of us has escaped it. We weren't even given the opportunity to be perfect. We, we are all sinful. And so it's not for a purpose of bringing guilt and shame, but rather God wants us to be aware of the patterns of our lives. He wants us to be aware of how we process life and how we go about life. He wants us to be aware of our reaction to pressure. When, when that thing happens that just sets us off, how do we react? He wants us to be aware that naturally we're broken in that, that naturally we drift from God, that naturally we don't come to him in those moments, but that everything we need is found in him. Church, I think we would see God so much clearer if we also saw him in our brokenness. If we saw him in our brokenness, we begin to see him clearer. In fact, God's design for our, uh, how to process our shortcomings, that our shortcomings are designed to bring us back to him, to show us how, in comparison to our brokenness, his wholeness, and that all we need is found in him. See, Israel originally was given the law from God, and the purpose of this law was to make them aware of their sin. God didn't give it as a standard that said, in order for you to be in my presence and in order for you to be good enough for me, you better hit all of these items in this law. He gave it to bring an awareness. Look at how Paul says it in Romans chapter three. This is verse 19. He says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty of sin before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You and I do not have power to overcome sin. Jesus does. See, we have access to that because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. The fact that no man from the beginning of time had lived without sin. And as Jesus entered the world as God and man, he completed that task. He fulfilled the law on his own so that we could participate and have, have a part in that righteousness through our faith. See, we do not have the power to overcome that sin. But when Jesus overcame it, through him, we now have access to that power. So you might be able to modify your behavior. There may be things that you can overcome. Maybe there's sin in your life that, that you have dealt with, that you have put aside, that you can look back and say, hey, you know what? I, I, that used to be a part of me, and, and it's no longer. Me and God, we put that away. Great. But there are going to be things in your life that you cannot. There are going to be moments and, and moments you're, you're angry or moments you're jealous or moments you're insecure Moments that you cannot handle on your own, but that God gives you the ability to handle when you are returning to him, when you're running into his presence with it. You know, I mentioned that we didn't have the chance to even be perfect. And that's because from the beginning of time, the beginning of our mankind story, scripture tells us that sin was in the world. Romans 5, in, uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. 
When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. As a result of God's gracious gift, it is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Church, we have access to the power that overcomes sin and death. We cannot access that power on our own. We do not have in our human form the ability to overcome sin and death. But what we do have is through this free gift that that Paul tells us, this free gift of wonderful grace and righteousness through Jesus's life, who has lived that out, who has lived that perfect life, has completed the law that no man before him or since could do. Through him, we have access to his grace and his righteousness and his power that does defeat sin and death. That we do have that ability, but not on our own, but in Christ. See, church, the truth that the, the truth, or I'm sorry, the lie that the enemy wants you to believe is that you have so many roadblocks between you and God. That you have too much sin, your sin is too consistent, that you are just too angry all the time, that you don't spend enough time with him, that you're never good enough. But the, true, the truth in that is that there is nothing separating you from the love of God. See, it's not how much sin that keeps you from God. It's your refusal to bring that sin to God that keeps you from him. It's your pride that continues to tell you if you keep working at this, if you keep trying, if you keep doing this on your own, you'll eventually conquer it. You'll be less angry. You'll be less lustful. You'll be less mean, less less unkind. You'll have more patience if you just keep working at it. And that's the lie that keeps us from accessing this power of God that defeats sin and darkness in our life. It's the humility that we find to bring ourselves before God. Not how we would want to be, but how we find ourselves today. And so God has given us this law, this way of living, this righteous way of living to show us that apart from him, we can't attain that, but that with him, we have access to it that we no longer have to go to these broken cisterns that don't hold water, but instead we have a spring of living water that we have access to at any point. 
Jesus actually refers to that spring of living water himself. This same spring of living water that God was referring to in Jeremiah, we see here that Jesus says in John chapter 4. See, he's speaking to the woman at the well, a famous story in verse 9. And he is coming before the woman and asking her for a drink. He has just traveled with his disciples. He's come into this town and he sits down at this well and he's thirsty. He is human. It says that he's weary. He's tired. And so much so that this woman who is drawing water, he asks her if she would draw him some water. And we pick up in verse 9. The woman who was a Samaritan who didn't, at that time, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. It says the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replies, if you only knew the gift of God, the the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed themselves? And in verse 13, Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Church, I want you to just grasp that picture that God gives us in this story. This comparison to to what he accuses Israel of, of going to their broken cisterns. And then I want you to begin applying that picture of a broken cistern, this this tool meant to hold water as unclean as it may have been, still not even being able to hold that. And picture that as what we run to in our time of need. The things that you run to that aren't God, those moments that you're embarrassed of, that you're ashamed of, that sin in your life that you can't seem to overcome. And then picture a spring of living water, a fresh, clean, pure source of water to replenish, to hydrate, and one that never runs out. That as you have a need, you have it met. That as you have things in your life, the healing you're looking for, things that you're looking to, oh, sin that you're looking to overcome, that everything you need for that is found in this spring of living water. And Jesus says that those who come to him have access to that spring of living water. You see, church, our our main goal isn't to be perfect enough for God. Our main goal isn't to work through the things in our life that keep us from God and then come to God. Our purpose is to come to God and let him work those things out in his presence to take any barrier that we have, any mistake, anything in our minds that we feel is keeping us from God and to enter into God's presence anyway with a heart that is repentant. That's a word that is used in scripture a lot, but it simply means to turn from. So we're turning from the ways we are doing things and turning to God. 
And let me tell you right now, the, the next lie that the enemy will bring into your mind as you enter into God's presence is great. You're here. Now, how are you going to fix that? And church, let me tell you right now, that sin, that thing, that whatever it is that's popping into your mind right now that you haven't really been able to figure out, if you could have done it on your own, you would have years ago. Am I right? If we could have overcome this sin and this thing that is constantly keeping us from God, if we could have done that, we would have done that years ago. We would have gotten rid of it. But instead, what we find is when we're wrestling with it, often we're taking it into our own own hands and we're taking it out of God's and we're saying, God, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to fix this. And when I get it in a state that I'm okay enough showing you, I'm going to bring this broken cistern back to you and then say, okay, God, it's yours. And God is saying, forget that. I am a spring of living water. Bring me your brokenness. Bring me your sin. Bring me your hunger. Bring me your thirst. Bring me your anger. Bring me your lust, your shame, your guilt. Bring everything that is in you that is evil, that is not good and holy and perfect. Bring it to me and let me deal with it. And church, we don't get to completely absolve ourselves from our sin and just go on living how we want And God to say, hey, I covered it, you're good. But we don't have to carry it on our own. You see, when Jesus talks about how when we come to him, all who are weary and burdened, he says he will give us rest. And then he goes on to teach his disciples in that moment that he says, I will put my yoke upon you. For my my yoke is light, my burden is light and easy to bear. See, a yoke is a tool meant to do work. Jesus isn't saying, bring me your sin, and it just goes away. But he says, bring me your sin, and watch what I begin to do as I heal you. Watch that, how much less that work seems. Watch as you begin to discover a new strength and a new hope over that, that part of your life that you found dead and hopeless for so long. That part of your personality or your character that you would have swore is, is dead in the water. And you've, you've given up on it a long time ago. Well, you know, I wanted to be a, um, a man of God. I, I wanted to consistently go to church. I want to spend every day in prayer. But you know what? I just can't do that anymore. Watch how easy that becomes with the power of Jesus. Watch as you begin co-laboring with God, as he begins allowing his power into your life and he begins changing the things in your life that you maybe never thought would change. But it starts with God's presence. It starts with us taking our hearts to him for us to push past this feeling of shame and guilt and not being good enough to be in the presence of a holy God, which is an understandable thought because we are not. We are not holy enough to be in his presence. But what it does do is that humility before God brings his power and his strength into our lives. God says, humble yourself before me. It says that he, God says that he humbles those who are proud, but he exalts those who are humble. See, humility isn't acting like you have nothing going on wrong. It's simply being honest with yourself and with where your life is. You feel hypocritical with your sin. You feel hypocritical that you should be at this different spot. 
Being a hypocrite is pretending that you don't have that sin. It's not having it. See, the word hypocrite comes from the ancient Greek times in, in, uh, in theater where they would put masks over their face and they would act as a different person. See, when you be, decide to put a mask on and saying, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian now, so everything's fine. And this sin, I'm just going to kind of ignore or pretend it's not there or try and hide it. That is what being hypocritical is. But church, let me just reiterate that you have no shame in admitting your sin to God. You have no shame in admitting your sin and your brokenness to the people around you that you trust. You have no shame in it because no one can say they're better. None of us, myself included, and any pastor or priest you've met, none can say that we've escaped sin. All of us in this room are in an even playing field. And you may find more shame with your sin because it's your sin. It's attached to who you are, your identity. But bring that to God. In his presence, let him work through that. Spend time with God. Spend time bringing those issues to him. Don't just say you will. Actually do it. Begin to see the power of God move in your life as you humbly return to him. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We worship you because we are not the ones that have to run our life. We thank you that we get to relent that control to you, that we don't have to figure out how to get from point A to point B in our relationship with you, that, God, you take care of it in your presence. God, I thank you that you've given each and every one of us the ability, the privilege, the honor to come before the holy creator of the universe right now and tonight and tomorrow and the next morning. That, God, you give us the the opportunity, the blessing of being in your presence with nothing holding us back. Should we just in humility bring ourselves to you? God, I pray over each and every one of us here today that you would give us a clearer picture of our lives, that you would give us a clear picture of our behaviors and our patterns and ways of doing things. God, no matter how how broken and shameful they may be, would you help help us to see those so that we can confess them to you, so that, that we can lay them at your feet, so that in humility we can lift our hands before the God of the universe and say, I can't do this. Would you take it from me? And God, we are so grateful that your loving presence does. We're so grateful that everything we need is found in you. God, I pray that you would help us to return to you, that you would help us to bring our hearts to you, and that you would remind us that there is no shame, no guilt in your presence, that we have everything we need in you. We worship you and we thank you for this, Jesus. In the name of your Son, Amen.